All right, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, go to Hebrews chapter 6 as we jump into part 2 of our study on the elementary principles of the faith. And we're starting part 2 tonight. There is a story that I love that Adrian tells, and I'm going to completely botch it, but here it goes. There was a pilot that was shot down, I think, over Iraq. And there were some uh, Navy SEALs and other people that were highly trained to go in and rescue shot down pilots. And they were coming up and devising this amazing plan of how they were going to rescue this American helicopter pirate pilot. And he was in this this uh, pirate. Yeah, not a pirate, a pilot. He was in this uh, he was in this compound and um, and other American units around and um, forces around were notified of this pilot's whereabouts. And wasn't he the guy that wrote the number on the, the t-shirt and then threw it up on the roof? And he was doing laundry and he tricked his, his, uh, ca- his captors. He said, I need to wash my shirt. It stinks really bad. And he actually wrote his social security number, his name on his t-shirt, or it was already written on his t-shirt. And he, then he put it up on the roof to dry. And then one of the drones flying over above, they, they zoomed in and they saw his name on this T-shirt drying on the roof. And they found his location right away using that. Well, all the American forces around were told, be careful. This is where our, our, our pilot is being held captive. Don't go near him. We don't want to get spooked. Meanwhile, there is this Marine force, Marine Corps force nearby. And they were like, oh, no, we got it. And they just sped over to the compound, busted in the compound, shot everybody up, rescued the pilot, took him back into safety. And they were like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, and that wasn't supposed to happen like that, but it was successful apparently. And they rescued the pilot and he was a friend of Adrian's. And, and so there is this um, Marine Corps uh, commanding officer. He told one of his Marines, his, his subordinates, who was a corporal, something like that, relatively low ranking Marine, he basically put a, they put a bulletproof flak vest on this pilot, which had a handle in the back. And they told the Marine, hang on to him. Don't let him go until I tell you. You're in charge of him. Keep him safe. Don't let go until I tell you, the, the commanding Marine said to the, the young Marine. Okay? So they got to get this pilot back. Uh, where are they trying to get him? To Bagram or? To Kuwait. To Kuwait. They're trying to get this pilot back to Kuwait. And they're going to debrief and, and check everything out and see how he is and do all these medical exams or whatever they got to do in Kuwait. Well, this Marine is holding on to this handle on the back of this pilot's flak vest and he does not let go. And he gets in the car and he gets truck and he goes all the way to the airport. Then he gets on the plane and he's on the plane and he's got his weapon, all his, his, his battle gear with him and everything. And he's fully loaded and his Marine sitting on the next, next to this, this pilot on the plane holding on to the handle. Then they get off the plane and they, you know, they, they're, they're trying to offload the, the Marine and say, okay, Marine, you go back. And the Marine's like, no, sir, I cannot go back. And this, this full bird Colonel, right? Walks up to the Marine corporal and says, Marine, stand down. We've got it from here. And the Marine points his weapon at the full bird Colonel and says, no, sir, I cannot until I hear from my commanding officer to let go of the pilot. And everyone's freaked out, like, wow, "Wow, this guy is nuts, or (laughs) AKA he's a Marine, right? (laughs) So the guy is holding, I mean, he's going, he's, he's, he's with him on trips to the bathroom, right? 
and holding onto this handle. That's how this Marine is like, he's, he's like a pit bull, which is the mascot of the Marines, right? He's, he's holding on. And so he's finally, they call up this Marine. How many, how long did this go on for? 14 hours, this Marine is holding onto this handle on the back of this pilot's black vest. <coughs> Finally, they call up, they find the Marine's commanding officer. They call him up. They put him on the phone with the, and the, 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 the Marine Corps commanding officer says, okay, Corporal, stand down. You're good. Thank you. Come on back. Marine, go, Marine goes, okay, yes, sir. Let's go. Walks away and never seen again. Goes back to his unit somewhere. Just like that. Wow. Amazing story, right? but is kind of at its core what we're going to be talking about tonight when that then that commanding officer i don't know what his rank was in the marines when he told his corporal or whatever rank he was when he told him hang on to him don't let him go keep him safe don't let go until i tell you what is the marine corps uh what's the what's the uh motto what is it semper fi which is what always faithful always faithful that commanding officer knew when i tell my marine something he's going to take it literal and he's going to follow through with it all the way to the end that's how marines are trained for good or for bad right but the pilot made it there safe didn't he he didn't he didn't mess up and we're going to talk about faithfulness tonight. Let's go to Hebrews chapter six. Therefore, let us move on beyond the elementary teachings about Messiah, about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Let's not lay again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. As we covered that last night and of faith in God. Okay. Now this is our second point tonight of faith in God. If I interviewed everyone here within the sound of my voice, and I said, guys, I want you to tell me what it means to have faith in God. And the Hebrew there is pistos epitheon, which actually could better be, be, be more appropriately translated as faith upon God. Faith upon God. If I had you guys all write down on a three by five index card, what is faith? And I collected all those cards and I read them. Do you think they'd all be 100% identical to each other? No. No, they wouldn't be. Some of you would say hope. It's like hoping on something. It's, it's waiting for something. It's, it's relying on something. It's believing in something. Okay. How much more so would they be different if I went down to a local supermarket, went Dixie or Walmart or, or the Piggly Wiggly, and I did the same thing. And I collected all those cards and I read them out loud. They would be even more different, wouldn't they? It's important that if, if like I said last night, we're checking our foundations and we're making our, our foundation is accurate. We have to understand what is faith in God or faith upon God. Pistos epitheon, faith upon God. What is it? And to understand it, we have to dig into one of the characteristics of God, one of the, the God's nature, one of the attributes of our creator, because he's the source of all of our understanding of this world and all of the Bible. And one of, one of the, the attributes of God is faithfulness. Now go with me to Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, 6. <coughs> Exodus 34, 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. So Yudhei Vavhei, Yudhei Vavhei, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I taught you guys last night how to look up the original language. Remember the website I took you to? Biblehub.com. If you have a phone or or iPad or something, go to Biblehub.com and let's see what the original language says for Exodus 34, 6. Remember I taught you, you go to Biblehub.com and then when you hit that search bar, you type in Exodus 34, 6. Biblehub.com, Exodus 34, 6. If you uh, find the Hebrew word, tell me what it is. Exodus 34, 6. What's the word used for faithfulness there? Exodus 34, 6. You see it? It's one of the last words. Emmets. Emmets. Good. Hannah gets the gold star. She, you guys see the word? The last word. If you go to BibleHub.com, type in Exodus 34, 6. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of that verse. The very last word used in the Hebrew version of that verse is the word emet, ve-emet, and emet. Now, what does emet mean in Hebrew, though? Truth. Truth. So why here is it translated as faithfulness? Why here is it translated as faithfulness? That's really interesting because when I looked at that in my translation, it didn't say faithful, it said truth. It says truth? Okay, good. Mm -hmm. they're both, they're both correct. Yeah. Emmet, emmet, truth, is the source of faith. Is the source, the source of faith. Why? Because just like that Marine was tested at some point and became a Marine. He went from a recruit or a candidate into becoming called a Marine. He was tried, he was tested, and he was proven to be faithful and therefore was able to put on the eagle globe and anchor and become a Marine. And so when that commanding officer told that Marine, do this and don't let go, he, was, he knew that he could trust and be faithful and depend upon that Marine. He knew to say that Marine was faithful, always faithful, he knew that that was true. Because truth comes from examination and testing and observation, okay? Truth is something that is proven to be consistent. So when we say God is true, or that statement you just made is true, it means that we have tested it and we have verified it. And the word emet in Hebrew is right here, aleph, mem, tav. If I were to transliterate it, it's emet, or emet, and it means true. True. It's the best English translation we can come up with. That's true. When we say, oh yeah, that's true. That means, yes, I, I agree with that statement. I verified it. I checked it out. What you're saying is correct. It is trustworthy. Okay? Now, the word emet is, also shares the same root as amen. Amen. What does amen mean? When we say, you guys were saying it while you're singing, they were singing the blessing song. Amen. Yeah, that's true. May it come to be. Or that, yes, I agree with that. And some of you, when uh, Xavier and Rebecca, they were giving their testimony. I heard some of you say, amen. You know, like Xavier said, you're, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. And some of you said, amen. What did, what did you mean by that? Let it be. No, not let it be. No, because that's more of a, a sign of like hope. 
but rather what? That's true. I agree with that. That is true. Amen. That's true. I, I have test. I have verified that that is true. And I agree with that statement. All right. Amen means true. Okay. Amen is closely connected to and shares the same root as this word, which is amunah. Amunah is what? Faith. Faith. Yeah. Amunah is faith. But it's, you see how it shares emunah. It's not, I don't like the English word faith. I can't really grab hold of it and understand. But when I connect it to the word amen or the word truth, emet, I understand that faith, emunah, is, is to have a conviction in something that is verifiable, that is truth. Does that make sense? Faith is something, it is a strong pledge. It is a conviction of something. Like when everyone, everyone took a leap of faith tonight when they came and sat down, what was that leap of faith? That the chair was going to hold you up. Now, why did you have faith in that chair? If I, if I built a chair and I built it, let's say, out of a recycled pallet, and I said, Jeremy, come here. I want you to come up here and I want you to sit in this chair. Would Jeremy have any hesitancy? Oh, yeah, he would, right? Especially if he saw my woodworking skills, right? But if someone like, if he could see that someone like Howard was coaching me and Howard was hovering over and he's like, don't do that, do this instead. And then, and then Jeremy could see that, okay, there, I could watch the process. And then he watched, Jeremy watched me sit in the chair. And then he watched Howard sit in the chair. And then Bob Sanders sat in the chair. And then, and then Jeremy's like, yes. Now I'm going to sit in the chair because I'm going to put faith in the chair because I know that chair is now trustworthy. That's faith. That it's verifiable. I have a strong conviction that that chair will hold me up. Now you all made that decision tonight to sit in your chair and have faith in the chair. You had a strong conviction, this chair, and some of you didn't even think about it. You're like, I have such strong faith that I don't even have to think about it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a, a wild, wild guess and just assume this chair is gonna hold me up. It's just a subconscious decision. But it says in Exodus 34, God says, I am emet. I am so verifiable. I am so trustworthy. My deeds prove who I am. And because of that, you can have emunah on me. You can have faith in me. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to play an advocate here. A many, devil's advocate or a... Well, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so many times people will say, well, how do you know that? And then you say, well, I don't know, I just have faith. Mm -hmm. So it's something really ambiguous a lot of times to a lot of us. Instead of saying it's something verifiable, it's just the opposite. It's kind of like, well, I don't know, I just have faith. Yeah. Well, you know, when... when, when you know, a lot of times, like, say, an atheist will ask you about something, and it's like, we don't know, we have faith. So, yeah. it's, it's like, like, I don't know how to verify that, I just have faith. Yeah. So... How do, I, how do I rectify that? Well, it's like if you're standing alone on a desert island with another person and they've never ever seen or sat in a chair before, but you have. How do you convince that person, hey, take a leap of faith and sit in the chair? You can say, I have sat in chairs all my life and they hold me up, right? You can sit in the chair too and it will hold you up. 
Now, you can't fully convert, convince that person that, okay, yeah, I'm going to sit in a chair and, and risk it and look like a fool. You can't fully convince them sometimes until they too do it themselves. And sometimes that takes a move of the Holy Spirit within that person to give them the boldness and the confidence to do that. But yeah, we're going to get a little bit more. Is, is faith blind or not? We're going to talk about it a little bit more. Go with me to Exodus 17 verse 12 now. I want to show you a couple more ways in which this, these words are used kind of interchangeably. Exodus 17, 12. Exodus 17, 12. And you can go there in Bible Hub if you want. I'm going to make you look at some of the original words here. So Exodus 17, 12. If you have a paper Bible, you can go there too. It says, you know, this is when uh, the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites and they began to lose the battle. Remember, Moses is holding his hands up with a staff, right? You guys remember this story? Okay. And it says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. How does that help his hands? (laughs) There's a lot of other symbolism going on there, but it says Aaron and Hur held his hands. Now, if you look at the original language there, the word for held, it says when they held his hands, the supported, it uses that word, they made his hands emet. They steadied his hands. It says his hands until the going down of the sun. It says they made his hands emunah. They made his hands faithful. So that give you an idea what faith looks like? Number one, we can't do faith alone sometimes, right? But it's like now I have two other human beings holding my hands up and steadying my hands. They are now dependable. They are now unmovable. They are now completely reliable and we will win this battle. Okay? There's another verse I want to show you real quick. It's in um, Exodus 18.21. Let's go there. Exodus 18.21. You can go there in Bible Hub if you want or whatever uh, source you want to. Exodus 18, 21. It says, Moreover, you should select from all the peoples and men uh, able. uh, Basically, this is talking about picking the leaders of Israel. And it says that they should fear God. They should be men of what? Truth. The word there is emet. Men of truth. Now, how do we know which men are men of truth and which men are not? How do you know that? They've been proven before. What is the proof of their truthfulness? Their actions. How about the lack of mistruth? That when they say something, they will do it. When they borrow a tool, they will return it. When they borrow money, they will pay it back. Right? They're men of consistency, reliability, dependability, men that are proven to be faithful. They are men of emet, truth, emet. Let's go to, so in other words, the leaders of Israel, the people, the men that are to be chosen are to be truthful, trustworthy, and faithful. The, the verb form of emet is he'emin, he'emin. It's to believe or to have trust. So if you want to have faith, you would say, I have that 
Gene, my father-in-law, will come pick me up on the side of the road when I have a flat tire. Why? Because he's done it before. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I have het and mean, okay? Now, go, go to these three verses real quick. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Deuteronomy 32, 4, and then Psalm 31, 5. Um, let's actually, let's, let's do this. Over here, I want Deuteronomy 7, 9 looked up over here on this side. In the middle, Deuteronomy 32, 4 in the middle, okay? On the far right over here on this side, guys, Psalm 31, 5. Psalm 31, 5. We're going to see how this word is used in each of these verses. Who's got Deuteronomy 7, 9 over here? From this you can know that Adonai your God is indeed God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and exceeds grace to the, extends grace to those who love him and observe his mitzvah. Uh, are you in Deuteronomy 7 9? Read it again for me. I think I missed something. There it is. There it is. The faithful God. Thank you. There it uses, if you look at the original language of Deuteronomy 7 9, it uses this name right here for one of the names of God. Ha Neeman. You see, the, the sh- it says the. The one that is amen is how we could translate it. The one that is true. So in, in, in Hebrew, in Deuteronomy 7, 9, you would read it as Ha'el, the God that is the faithful one. That is the trustworthy one. That is the amen. He is the, uh, the God of amen. He is faithful. So this is the, the God. Uh, let me write a transliteration first. The Ha'el. And then, ha, uh, ha, ne, eh, ha, ne, amin. The God that is faithful. The God that is the amen. The reliable, I know it's really scribbled up there, I'm sorry. If you need me to write it again, I can. But, the God that is faithful. What does it mean that God is faithful? What does he say in that verse, Christian? What does he say? That is the proof of his faithfulness? What is the proof of his faithfulness? What does he say? There it is. I heard somebody say it. To the thousandth generation. He's saying he is faithful, even unto the thousandth generation. In other words, he is completely trustworthy, even over thousands of years. He's faithful. What is he faithful to? What did the verse say? What does he do as a response of his faithfulness and his trustworthy? What? He keeps covenant and extends grace to those who keep his covenant and his laws. And that's proof of his faithfulness. He is the God of faithfulness. Now let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 32.4. Who's got that? He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. A God of truth. That's that same, it uses that same exact phrase. He is the God of faithfulness. It's actually one of the names of God is the God of faithfulness, the faithful God. All right, who's got Psalm 31.5 over here? Your hand, I my spirit, you have a 
faithful God. Do you hear it again? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Who else said that verse? But there's also two, another version, King James version, it says, oh God, God of truth. God of truth. Yeah, King James says God of truth. Because, it, because these words are connected. Emet, and then amen, and then naturally this, this God of truth. Amen, the God of truth. You see how they're all interconnected. And that's why some translations will say the God of faithfulness. And then other translations will say the God of truth. Because they're, they're one and the same. Faithfulness is evidence of truth. And truth is evidence of faithfulness. They're one and the same. They're interconnected. Now, let's, uh, let's keep going here. You asked who said that. Yeah, yeah, good. So, go with me to Genesis chapter 15 now. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read six verses. Genesis 15. Now we're, we're at the story of a man named Avraham and he cannot have children. He and his wife, Sarah, are barren. But God says to him, do not be afraid, Abraham. And in verse one, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham replied, O Lord God, what can you give me since I remain childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer, of Damascus and Abraham continued behold you have given me no offspring so a servant in my household will be my heir then the word of the Lord came to Avram and said this one will not be your heir but the one who comes from your own body will be your heir and the Lord took him outside and said now look at the heavens and count the stars if you are able and then he told him so shall your offspring be and Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness now, it's interesting because uh, we mentioned the other night. It says here in, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, that he believed. That in other words, Abraham said, Amen. At the words of God. It says, Yes, I believe it's true. And that was credited to him as righteousness, it says. He uses this word right here. Amen. Now, did Abraham ever see that in his lifetime? No. But we know according to Hebrews chapter 11, it says that, yes, he did not see that. But he made it into this hall of faith, as we see in Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to get to in a little while. So four generations go by and Abraham's amen becomes true. Why? Why does the amen become true? Because we have an entire nation. Albeit that nation is now stuck in Egypt and are slaves. But then God leads that nation out of slavery. In Exodus 14, 31. Look there with me real quick. Exodus 14, 31. And you can look it up in Bible Hub. We can look at the original language or whatever. It says, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. Now, these are Abraham's descendants, the ones he never saw, a big, giant nation of people. It says, the people feared the Lord and they, what does it say there in the original language? Believe. They believed. It says that they amend him, that they had faith in him. 
that they believed him to be true. Amen. It says it right there. And actually uses the plural form. Aminu. We believe you. Yes, it's true. We saw your hand. We saw your we saw you do these mighty works. Therefore, we believe you are true. You are faithful. Amen. You are amen. Okay? You get the idea, you get a better idea what faith is now? Let's do a little bit more. When they come to the cities of Canaan, you remember this story? They're led out of Egypt. They see the mighty hand of God and they say that he is amen. We believe in you. Aminu. We have faith in you. Because you're emet, right? But then they come to the cities of Canaan and then what happens? They get scared. And their trust, their amen in God then fails. They don't have any more faith in God at that point. They don't think that they can conquer those cities. Remember, there was the 10 spies that go out or the 12 spies go out. There's 10 bad reports that lost their faith in God, but then there was two that remained and had a main in God. Then there's this king that comes on the scene and he faces a giant. What was his name? David and then Goliath. Yeah. If you want to turn there, it's in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. 1 Samuel 17, 45. 1 Samuel 17, 45. If you got it, read it nice and loud for me. First Samuel 17, 45. Who has it? You hear that? Does David have Amen in God? Faith? Yeah. Does he have Emunah? Yeah. yeah. When it seems like all of Israel and Israel's armies lost their Amen, their faith, their Emunah, David says, no, I have Emunah in God. He will deliver us from this, this puny giant that you all are afraid of. And it, go with me to 1 Kings 3.6. 1 Kings 3.6. Somebody read it nice and loud when you're there. 1 Kings 3.6. And Solomon said, Yeah, it says because David walked in Emet and in Sadakah, which like righteousness. David is an example of an Israelite that rebuilds the faith of Israel. He's the king of Israel who rebuilds the faith and regathers the faith, the Emunah. And, and that's what it says there in 1 Kings, that he walked in Emet. He walked in truth. You see, David considers God to be faithful 
and therefore responds with faithfulness himself. He says, you know what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I believe, I have faith that he will deliver Israel from the army of the Philistines. Therefore, I will put faith in God. I will go down to a little stream bed, collect five stones, which is the number of Torah, and I will hurl them into this giant's head. I will respond with faithfulness. So because God is faithful and he is true, I will then act in faithfulness. And then I will regather the faith of my people. You see, faith in God, like in Hebrews chapter 6, means believing that he delivers on what he says and that he will do it. It's just like the idea of a credit report or a credit score. You have this number that's attached to your social security number. It's kind of creepy. It's called a credit score. And when you go to a bank, they will pipe in your, your social security number and they will spit out a credit score. And they will decide whether or not they want to give you or loan you money based on that credit score. That credit score is a reflection of your faithfulness, of your truth. And sometimes when people go to rent a house, they will say, oh, my credit score is this. And then when you look it up, it's actually that. You're not being truthful. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot put faith in you because you have no faith yourself. Marriage works the same way. Marriage is a mutual understanding and agreement that you both will be faithful. Okay? That you both will be exclusive to one another. That's all marriage is. It's like, hey, we're going to go through some tough times together. But as long as you agree to stay faithful to me, I will stay faithful to you. And we will ride out these hard times. That's what marriage is. And that's what faith is. Now, unfortunately, there are times where that faith is broken in people. And when that faith is broken, it's really hard to regain that faith, isn't it? And, and therefore, like one spouse who has their trust broken by the other spouse, it's hard for them to put their faith back in that spouse because they don't believe they have faith in them themselves. They have lost that faith. I can't, I can't put my hope, I can't put my, you have been untrue to me. Therefore, I cannot be true to you. And so I'm going to wall, I'm going to wall, I'm going to, I can't trust you now. But that's what marriage is though. It's a, it's a complete exposure. It's a complete vulnerability and reliance upon that person being faithful because I will be faithful. Stacy, if you be faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. Right? It's an agreement. It's a covenantal contract. Roman, go with me to Romans 15.8. Romans 15.8. We're going to read a couple verses here. Romans 15, 8. It says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, God's emet, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praises of your name. But back up to verse eight. It says, I tell you that Messiah, that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. 
or the New Living Translation says, to show that God is true and his promises are being fulfilled. I like that translation. To, pr- to be proof that God is faithful. To be proof that Christ came to prove God faithful. And Paul is saying, therefore, we can put faith on God. Right? Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Uh, you guys over here on the left, my left, take Hebrews 11, 1. In the middle, Hebrews 11, 6, somewhere in the middle. On the, my right over here, Hebrews 11, 39. Okay, Hebrews 11, 1, 11, 6, 11, 39. Got it? Who's got 11, 1 over here? Read it nice and loud. Noah, you got it? Assurance about what we do not see. Okay, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now, is faith hope? No. Faith is not a synonym of hope. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now, how do we get confidence in what we hope for? Paul says in Romans, because Christ has come, the Messiah has come. Therefore, we have confidence in God of what we hope for. What are we still hoping for? His return and the resurrection of the dead, and the, and the judgments, and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. So faith is the comp- confidence in what we hope for, and the assurance of what? Assurance of what? Part two. What we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance in what we don't see. But we have a down payment, don't we? That down payment was the blood of Messiah. That part of his promises has been fulfilled to us. There, there's a story that goes on. Um, there was a father that, um, that left to go to war. Uh, as he was gone, he told, as he was leaving, he, told, he had two daughters. And he told them, stay here and I will come back to you one day after the war is over. And I will bring with me a necklace of pearls and a a new summer dress years and years go by and no word of the father nothing silence and the girls grow up they become adults and finally a messenger comes the messenger brings with him a necklace made of pearls and says to the girls this is your father this is a, a, a message from your father you see Yeshua to us is the necklace of pearls, is the assurance of things that we hope for. Is everything completed that he has promised us? No. But we have assurance that our father will fulfill the second part. It's assurance of what we yet cannot see, of what we yet yet are seeing. Let's go to Hebrews 11.6. Who has that? Go ahead, Marvin. <laughs> hey, when that happens. Okay, read it nice and loud. Keeping us all suspense here. 
You got it? Nice and loud. So he is the rewarder. It was to say, without without faith is it impossible to come to God. Mm-hmm. And what, what was the second part? He is the rewarder of what? He is the rewarder of uh, he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a beautiful promise, right? Let's go to Hebrews eleven thirty nine. Who's got that? Uh, Jennifer, you got it. So that, Hebrews 11 is all about the hall of faith. And it's going through all these patriarchs and great people in the Bible. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, 11, 1139, these people didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. But the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that you guys have seen a part of the promise. Through Messiah, you have seen part of that down payment and the fulfillment of those promises. And now you should have a greater faith, so to speak, because you have received that gift. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. Revelation 22, 6. Revelation 22, 6. It says, The angel said to me, These words are true and they are trustworthy. And the Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent this angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. You see the interconnectivity between true and trustworthy. If I, if I meet an individual on the street, let's say they're sleeping under a bridge, can I, it, would it be responsible of me to say to that person, you are trustworthy to me? No. No, that would be foolish for me to do, right? To give them a loan and say, hey, yeah, if you could pay me back tomorrow, that'd be good. That person is not trustworthy. Well, at least I don't know that they are, right? They could be. What would prove their trustworthiness? What would prove their faithfulness? Past actions. What about other people who who vouch for that person, right? Or what if I just take a, a gamble and loan them money and they end up paying it back? Or I give them the keys of my car and I say, come back with the, my car at the end of the day. And they do it. And they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again. Now, are they trustworthy? Yes. They have proven themselves to be trustworthy. But I don't know it until I see it, right? And, and I believe what God is telling us in his word is saying, look, I gave these promises, and especially the writer of Hebrews is saying, I gave these promises. They are coming true, and they will come true. And you get to be part of that coming true. And because of that, you should have assurance of what you cannot yet see. You should hope for what you have confidence and faith in. Hope is not a synonym of faith. <coughs> so often we make it the case. Man, just have a little bit of faith, right? That's not the case. What's the Greek word for faith? If you have Revelation, I'm sorry, let's go to, actually, if you have like Hebrews 11.1 1 pulled up in Bible Hub. Somebody tell me, what's the Greek word for faith? I know some of you know it probably already top, off the top of your head. What is it? Peace, yeah, pistos or pistis. 
and it's faith. And it means the same thing. It's, uh, it's trustworthiness. It's proven trustworthiness. So when you put faith in someone, you're saying, I trust them. It's not a gamble. It's not hope. I hope they bring my car back at the end of the day. It is, they have proven to me that they will bring the car back at the end of the day. I have pistis in them. Okay? That's the Greek. Now, I lost my spot here. Part of being a faithful, part of being faithful as an ancient Israelite was to believe that God would bring a redeemer who would reign as a faithful king. And this is why the first line of the New Testament, if you want to go there, Matthew 1.1, the first line of the New Testament does something very special and important for us. Matthew 1.1, what does it say? (coughs) Somebody read like the first verse of it. The book of the genealogy you see what it did there it took us through those men of faith the son of abraham who else the son of david great men of faith and he's saying matthew is saying that yeshua is the fulfillment of that faith that they had and matthew is making a case that we should then put our faith on god because he's proven himself to be trustworthy therefore we should put our faith and our trust on him what he said what he promised came to be and this is why the first line of the new testament like i said takes us through those men of faith have you guys ever trusted someone to be faithful and they weren't nod your head if that's the case yeah, yeah. it might have been an employee it might have been a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse or it might have been someone you are doing business with? Have you ever failed someone in your faithfulness to them? Sadly, I have. Do you ever do that to God, even though he is faithful? How how does that, what does that look like for us when we don't put faith in God or we lack in faith towards God? What does that look like? How does that manifest itself? Fear, yeah. It might be fear. Anxiety, I was just about to say anxiety. Sin, Sin? absolutely. Despair. Despair. Hopelessness. Hopelessness, yeah. It could be pride. What's interesting, if you want to go, we're going to go a few more verses. Go with me to John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. John chapter 20 and verse 24. There's an interesting character that gets a really bad rap. And we call him Doubting Thomas. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, which is his Greek name, he was one of the twelve disciples, which meant he spent about three years with Yeshua and witnessed everything that he did and said. So the other, he was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, why is that weird? Because the last time Thomas maybe saw him was when he was being executed and dying. 
or at least hearing of his death. But Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails have been and put my hand into his side where that spear went, right? I will never believe. Now, right there, we, we take and we, we just, um, we bludgeon Thomas, don't we? We're like, Thomas, man, why? Why are you such a doubter? And we always, we do this phrase, don't be a doubting Thomas. Like Thomas is like up in heaven. Like, guys, come on, seriously? Like you don't ever doubt? I don't know about you guys, but I would totally 100% be a Thomas. I am naturally a skeptic. And I don't like that about myself, but sometimes it pays off. <laughs> I've had people tell me things that if I wasn't a natural skeptic, would put me in a kind of a bit of a conundrum. But because I'm a natural skeptic, have gotten me out of that conundrum. And I didn't fall for it. But then sometimes I, I don't believe things right away that I should believe. Now, if we really, uh, if we take the bad rap that we give Thomas and we rewrite the story in the way that we kind of portray it sometimes, the doubting Thomas, what would Yeshua say to him? I'm not going to show you those things until you believe blindly. You just, better, you just better say you believe it, right? That's what we think Yeshua should say. Thomas, you're such a doubter. Come on, man. I spent three years with you. I did all these miracles and you don't believe that I can raise from the dead. You tell Thomas to just leave. He's kicked out of the club. That's what we would tell Thomas. But what's really amazing and really encouraging to people like me who are skeptics and tend to doubt and want to see proof is that's not a bad thing. Because let's keep reading. Eight days later. So Thomas is sitting on this for eight days. Everyone else is running around saying, we saw the risen Messiah. We saw him. We talked with him. Eight days go by and Thomas is like, yeah, okay. I'm still waiting for the proof. I'm still in denial. I'm still doubting it until I see it with my own eyes. Eight days go by. If that were any one of us, we would be like, gosh, he, I, don't, I don't think he's a Christian. I don't think he's born again. Right? We would maybe, we would maybe block them on Facebook. Right? What, eight days go by. His disciples were once again inside with the doors locked and Thomas was with them. And Yeshua came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Yeshua said to Thomas, you're fired. You're not one of my 12. No. I'm going I'm to block you on Facebook. You're bringing me down. You're toxic. I'm unfriending you. You must not be born again. We got to redo all this stuff. What did, no, what did he say? Put your finger here. And look at my hands. Reach out your hands and put it on my, on my side. And then stop doubting and believe. That to me is so encouraging. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Wow. There's no scolding. There's no belittling. There's no, hey man, why did you doubt me? Why didn't you just believe blindly? Now, Yeshua does go on to say, 
because you've seen me, you have believed. And he does say, how blessed are those who believe without having to see. But I unfortunately fall into that category more often than not of being the type that Thomas is. Show me and I'll believe. But you know what? This is encouraging to me because Yeshua accommodates that in me. He says, you know what? I'll give you the proof. Here it is. I understand you're a skeptic. I understand, Gabe Rutledge, that you've been hurt by religious people. I understand that. So I'm going to give you the proof. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to knock you upside the head with it so hard that you're not going to be able to deny it. Yes, Lord, that's what I need. That's encouraging to me. So believing isn't always, having faith isn't always just saying, like, like Karen was pointing out, sometimes we just got to say, well, we just have faith. Yes, sometimes that's the case. But also sometimes I want to see things that are dug up in the dirt in Israel. I want to see things like, like archaeological evidence that yes, there was a King David. And that increases my faith. And that's not a bad thing. Yeshua accommodates that for me and says, man, you'd be blessed if you believe without seeing. But you saw and you believed. And I love you, Thomas. Right? Put your hand here. Put your hand on my side. So yeah, sometimes some of you within the sound of my voice are able to do that. You have just faith. God's faithful. Bam. That's it. All right, I just got to tell you, that's it. okay, that's it. Other people like myself, I'm like, I've got to see God's faithfulness. And that is entirely 100% okay. Because why? God will come through and he will prove himself faithful. And then eventually, okay, after time and time again, it becomes easier for me to develop this muscle called blind faith and trust in God. Okay, I'm in this predicament, but I know that he came through for me this time and this time and this time and this time. So therefore, I'm going to put faith in him and he's going to come through again. That's faith. That's trust. That's truth. I'm going to have amen in God. Let me go back to my notes. Okay, don't you think that's what God gave us the Bible for? Yes. To show his faithfulness? Yes, you know, absolutely. We can all build it ourselves with experience. But yeah. it's already gotten the written story of his faithfulness. Absolutely. Yeah. And I could take the Bible and I could give it to a raging atheist. And I could say, read this and it will cure your faith problem. But it doesn't work. That atheist is going to say, I can't, I can't have faith in something from the intern. I can't internally verify that this is true. I need to see where things in here have become true. I need to see in here where something predates something happening. And then I need to see something dug up from the ground that verifies that things in this book did happen the way they happened. If there was a battle that said it happened right here and this happened in that battle and they were victorious, let's go out to this valley and let's dig it up and see if that's true. And that atheist over time, okay, good. Yeah, I see that that's true. I'm, therefore, I'm going to put my faith in this God and therefore I'm going to continue to exercise that muscle of faith. But yeah, I wish that we could just take a Bible and say, here, believe this. But I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you guys. So often that's not going to work. I wish it did. There are people... That, that read that and, and, and they do have faith. They do have, they put wholehearted faith into that. I sadly am, and admittedly am not one of those people. 
But once Thomas touched his side, I believe that Tom, Thomas died a horrible death for Christ's sake. Once people like me are convinced that something is true, we're not letting go of it. I'm not letting go of it because I know that it's true. We're going to close with a couple verses here. Um, go with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, and we're going to read two verses. Romans 5. Those crickets are making me sleepy. Paul says, Romans 5, it's that this, this version says the triumph of faith as a, as a subtitle, as a little heading there. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So you see, there's this faith, putting faith on God that he will become true, that, 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 that he is true because his promises are fulfilled. And then that produces hope in us. Why? Because not everything he promised has come to pass yet. Therefore we hope. Another verse I wanna take you to, John 14, six. John 14, six. Somebody read it nice and loud for me. John 14, 6. John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You hear that claim there? Yeshua is saying, I am the way, I am the emet, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Yeah, he could be saying that you need to believe in me to be reconciled to the Father. I agree with that statement. But also, what if he is saying it's a double meaning, no one comes to the Father through me. In other words, I am that down payment. I am the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15, the snake crusher who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, who's going to conquer sin and death. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am proving God to be true. I'm here. I'm the down payment. I'm the necklace of pearls, right? So, faith in God, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 6, or faith on God, is the confident belief that God exists, that he rewards merits or good deeds, and that he punishes sin, and he will make good on all the prophetic promises he has made regarding the redemption the kingdom, and the Messiah. That's what faith on God looks like. Why? Because he's true. He's been proven to, he has a very high credit score. <laughs> and I'm gonna take you all the way back to Genesis chapter two, verse three. If you wanna go there in your Bibles, this is the conclusion of the creation story. The conclusion of the creation story. Genesis chapter two, verse three. It says, Bara Elohim la'asots. All that God, Elohim, created 
to do. It's done. He's finished it. Now, if you take the last letter of each of these words, Aleph, Mem, Tav, what do you get? All that God created to do is true. His works are true. This is the seal of God's truth. Now, I could look at an atheist and say, look around you, man. Don't you see all that God created to do, that he set out to do? Don't you see the order in the universe? Whoever created this is true. His works are true. So Hebrews chapter 6, if you want to turn there one more time. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move on beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith on God or faith in God. The writer of Hebrews is saying that that's an elementary principle. You have seen the down payment of God's promises. You have proven him to be trustworthy. So having faith on God, to, be, to count God as true is an elementary principle of our faith. Move on past instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So I hope tonight you have a better understanding of what it means to have faith in God. He is truth. Amen? Amen. And Yeshua is the guarantee of that. Let's pray, and then I guess we can do a time of Q&A. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your truth. May we be people that have an ever-growing faith in you. Because you are true and your promises are coming true in our day. We thank you and praise you for that. In Yeshua's name, amen. 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 You all agree with that. Good. Okay. It's true. Do you guys have any questions or comments or anything you want to add to the conversation? Yeah, Jim? This reminded of the, the shining star in Israel. When Yeshua was there, he said uh, that he had not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Yeah. Who was it? It's a centurion, a military man. Apparently, his men had borne witness to the stories that were happening all yeah. around, following Yeshua around and bore witness to him. He trusted his men. And they told him, this guy did that. Yeah. He believed him. Yeah. And so when he said to Yeshua, don't bother having to come to my house. Yeah. He knew that was a Right. He said, just speak the word and I know it'll be done. Wow. That's profound, yeah. In all of Israel. In all of Israel. Wow. And, you know. I want a faith like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. I want to pray for that kind of faith. Where it's like, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and it'll come true. I believe you that much. It's amazing. Anybody else have a comment or a question or anything? No, everybody's tired. Anything? Oh, I see him back there. Who's that? Jason? Well, I guess if the word is, you know, a record of his deeds, 
Yeah. Yeah, we affect other people's faith, don't we, in God? And that's when we pray the prayer. So we, we say it so often and we lose the meaning of it. When it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, we sanctify your name. Um, we say it in the Kaddish as well, the Kaddish prayer. Sanctified be your name in this world, even as it is sanctified in the heavens above. Or we say that in the, um, sorry, in the, in the Amidah. But we, we lose sight of what the, the real meaning of to sanctify his name is. It's not, a, it's not a mental exercise. Okay, God, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. Like I sanctify your name. But rather it is, a, it is a demonstration of God's holiness through us. And we're sanctifying his name. And that's why when religious people hurt other people, it is such a profaning of God's name. It is the opposite of what we are supposed to be doing. When, when religious leaders or people manipulate and exert control or power over other people and exploit them, it's profaning God's name. And in the Lord's Prayer, we're supposed to be sanctifying His name. How do we do that? We become vessels of His faithfulness. When we say something, we'll do it. Or when we say, when we, say we love you, we really prove it. Right? And that, that's a really good point. We sanctify His name. Uh, any other comments or questions? Yeah, Mary Jane. Mm. They had the opportunity That's to see Yeshua and to see the wounds and to see that place. Yeah. That's all he asked for was what they had already. Mm. He, he didn't, wasn't asking for preferential treatment. Yeah. Yeah. We should stop giving him a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, Leslie. I think it's a testimony itself. I mean, I'm, I'm a skeptic like you all say. Yeah. And I think it's testimony. Why I would love to have that blind faith. It shows that he's my creator. Mm. That he knows I won't need to be knocked up beside the head with a stone. Yeah. Yet. But once I got it, I got it. And yeah. I think that's just testimony in itself that he is the creator. Yeah. That he knows what we each need. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Thank you for that. Anybody else have a comment or question? Yes. Yeah, Jackie. I just uh, caught when you were reading about Thomas on the eighth day mm-hmm. i never noticed that before but that's like the new beginning yeah for thomas yeah like, eight is a number of new beginnings yeah yeah right. well, the other thing about thomas is that uh yeshua pronounced a blessing on all of us because we have not seen what thomas saw and yet we believe so mm. what he spoke was a blessing on all of us who have not seen it but we believe it but we believe it yeah yeah that's good we'll see it one day maybe yeah All right, any other questions or comments?